I'm M. Sauter, better known as Pints and Panels. And I'm Don Tess, better known as the Don of Beer. Welcome to the 28th episode of the All About Beer podcast. Every two weeks, we talk with leading experts and take a deep dive into one topic in beer. This week on the show, we're going to be talking about everyone's favorite, pumpkin ales. <laughs> Visit allaboutbeer.com. Everyone loves pumpkin beers. I love your enthusiasm. Yay! Pumpkin beers. So, but visit first, visit allaboutbeer.com and follow us on social media at allaboutbeer. And please, 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 if you're feeling generous, visit our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash allaboutbeer to support this show and others. So uh, speaking of supporting this show, and this is usually where we ask our fans to rate and share the podcast. You're right. Um, do you think they're sick of us asking that? Oh, probably. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, well, even though it helps us out, if people do subscribe and rate the show, hint, hint, we won't actually ask you to do it this time. Okay. Instead, we'll just thank everyone for being a, a listener. So thank you very much. We really appreciate it. Yes. Thank you very, very much. Don, I know you got thoughts on pumpkin beers. So, because everyone's got an opinion. Everyone's <laughs> got um i feel like pumpkin beer is the pineapple pizza of beer like it's very divisive um but uh yeah i don't know i as a general rule i'm not a fan of pumpkin beer because really? i find well i think a lot of them are poorly thought out but huh. uh like all beer styles i think when it's done right uh they can be quite good and and i have had some very good ones i've just had a bunch of you know not so good ones too so how about you yeah, I mean, I kind of agree, but I really like them when they're unique. Uh, I love pumpkin stouts. I think they're really, really good. I also think it's great the minute it gets chilly and you have to put a sweater on. I think they're really, really great for getting into Halloween. And I'm like, really excited to talk about our uh, with our two guests who know all things pumpkin. Yeah, they're going to teach me what I don't know. Because I bet, you know, we're going to learn a lot of really interesting things about pumpkin beer because a lot of people are like, oh, pumpkin beer, meh. No, like maybe, exactly. yeah, I think this is going to be really exciting. I look so. forward to being told I'm wrong about pumpkin beer. So Yes, me too. <laughs> if you would like to help support the All About Beer co- podcast, please reach out to podcast at allaboutbeer.com. Hi, this is John Hall, the editor of All About Beer. This episode of the All About Beer podcast is brought to you by Estrella Galicia. And I'm joined by Xavier Cubello from the brewery to talk a bit about the importance of beer culture. Welcome. And I'm hoping you can share more about how Estrella Galicia works to help foster an appreciation of beer and how you interact with drinkers. Hello. Yes, indeed. We always say that at Estrella Galicia, we want to be the most loved beer and not the best seller. And for that reason, we need to help our distributors, sales forces, and the customers appreciating and loving the beer as much as we do. For that reason, we carry on constant trainings and tastings of different styles, not only our beers, starting with our workmates, the first line of brand ambassadors, and also with our partners and consumers. I said we are not interested in being the most sold beer, but we actually do want to lead the beer culture in Spain. And our beer culture activities are examples followed by other brands. Starting with Mega, our museum, with almost 40,000 visits in 2022, tastings at our best untrained customers, and as I said, trainings, many trainings. For example, I think I can say that we are seasonal certification program best customer in Spain and perhaps in Europe. It is compulsory that every Estrella Galicia new recruitment must follow a training in the first six months in the company. 
ending with a certified beer server Cicerone certification. No matter where this person works, everybody must know and love the product that we produce. Thank you so much for that insight and for being a sponsor of this episode. And to learn more about Estrella Galicia, please go visit estrellagalicia.com. ARP is overlord of brewing for Nebraska Brewing Company, a.k.a. NBC, overseeing operations at their production facility. His journey into craft beer began as a home brewer in the early 2000s, and eventually he volunteered his way into an assistant brewer position at NBC in 2007. Upon becoming becoming head brewer in 2009, his focus on quality and process quickly put NBC on the map as the most awarded brewery in the state. Success of Tyson's barrel-aged products and expanding markets led NBC to open a packaging brewery in 2014, where Tyson was integral in the design, engineering, and implementation of the new facility. Since then, continued focus on team building and process standardization has allowed Tyson more time to focus on product development and streamlining procedures throughout Breweries operation. Welcome to the show, Tyson. Thanks for having me. So I want to discuss your pumpkin beer. Is it is it is it called Wick for Brains? Wick for Brains is right. (laughs) I'm sorry that that tickles me. Um, I know. I mean, you got to have fun with these beers, right? You cannot. I don't think you're allowed. I think there's a law like you cannot have a pumpkin beer that doesn't have a pun for a name. Fair. That's fair. Right. Right. I think the TTB actually requires it. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. Go ahead. No. Um. So you make a pumpkin beer called Wick for Brains. Uh, how long have you been making this beer? And then do you do any variations on it for your brewery or distribution? We've been making this beer since 2008. Oh, good, good, good gravy. Yeah. I don't know when we started calling it Wick for Brains. Uh, it actually has an interesting backstory because there was another brewery in Omaha in the late 90s called Sharky's. Mm-hmm. And they had a pumpkin beer that I believe won a silver medal at the Great American Beer Festival. Mm-hmm. Um, and they had gone out of business. And Paul Cavillac, one of the owners of our brewery, got in touch with their old brewer and we got his recipe. Uh, so we kind of oh. brought it back to life. Strangely enough, though, I guess back in the day, record keeping and whatnot was a little loose. So the recipe I got was more of a sketch of a recipe. So we had to reinvent it a little bit. So how did you reinvent it? Um, the biggest challenge was um, the spices, which are probably the most important part of the flavor profile, were measured in shakes <laughs> on the original recipe. That could <laughs> be anything. Could be like, anything. You know, was that his dominant hand or his non-dominant <laughs> hand? And how big were the holes in the shaker? So it took some trial and error to figure that out. Huh. Um, but really cool thing that ties back into that. A couple of years later, we were at a local beer festival serving the beer. And um, totally unprovoked, I, I'd never even told that story about where the recipe came from. Uh, one of the people tasting it said, oh, my gosh, this reminds me of a pumpkin beer from Sharky's back in the day. And oh. so it's oh. pretty cool that we were able to nail that. That is interesting. So what did you, how did you put your own spin on it? How did you take Sharky's original recipe, obviously shakes and all? Yeah. And what, what did you do to make it your own beer? Um. I mean, we really did have to reinvent the spicing from scratch. So a little bit of trial and error over the years to get that right. But um, we were going for more of a lighter bodied, very drinkable pumpkin beer. And honestly, I think was that 15 years ago now, there weren't probably pumpkin beers were still kind of a very small niche. 
So there weren't a lot of other examples around that weren't kind of in that easygoing category. So that's kind of the direction we went. I did add some oats to it to maybe give it a little bit more body because, you know, the cinnamon and ginger, those are kind of hot, spicy spices. To me, that kind of thins out the mouthfeel. So I combat that with some oats. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I've never heard anyone adding oats to their pumpkin beer, but that makes total sense. I know some people put pumpkin in their boil, but that always seemed like a mess to me. So I've never gone down that path for mouthfeel. We just went with the, the malt bill instead. So does it have pumpkin in it or is it just the spices that make it a pumpkin? No, we use a, a good portion of pumpkin in the mash. Okay. And anybody who's done that knows that that's a real nightmare if you don't know how to do it well. So how, how do you do it well? Exactly. That's the next question. Um, we had a lot of really long runoffs over the years with that beer. I just looked at my notes this morning from the very first batch we brewed. And I think, you know, it's like two and a half hour runoff for a 10 barrel batch. And that wasn't the worst stuck mash I've ever had, but it wasn't a great day in the brewery. Uh, when we expanded in 2014 to start producing cans and a lot more volume of beer, um, Wickford Baines at that point became our most popular seasonal beer where we were oh. brewing probably 350 barrels. Uh, mm-hmm. So we would brew round the clock, filling up our 120 barrel fermenters and the brewers all hated it because the mashes were long. And so we slowly whittled away at adding more rice holes, um, utilizing some beta glucan enzymes, doing a beta glucan rest with the mash, all those things to kind of get it thinner and flowing better. And honestly, it took a lot of years to dial that in, but this year we brewed the beer, no problems at all, just like any other normal beer. Well, it's um, such a, it's so interesting with the trial and error of pumpkin, you know, like yeah. the fact that you can now do it as a regular beer and how long that since you've been brewing it so long. I, I, I feel like the uh, brewing literature on pumpkin beer is maybe a bit thin. So that's why it has to be all trial and error. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. It's <laughs> gummy and gooey and it just fills up all the space in your mash in your louder ton where the liquid should be flowing at like and almost is like a sponge or something. <laughs> um, why do you add the pumpkin in the mash? And you were kind of alluding to the fact that you didn't want to add it to the kettle. Are there um is it is that just practical brewing things or yeah adding all those solids to the kettle just seemed like it would add a huge mess with the whirlpool situation and getting the liquid separated i mean at that point how much of it are you okay with being in your fermenter i don't know it just seemed like it was going to cause more problems than it would solve maybe there's more flavor potential for the pumpkin but the pumpkin is subtle in flavor anyways, although I do think it definitely comes through compared to beers that maybe don't actually have pumpkin in it. Okay. Because um, when you're adding it in the mash, are the enzymes from the malt converting some of the sugars or is it all yeah, the, anyways? The, the carbohydrate component in a pumpkin puree is not real high. I think it's only like oh. 6 or 7%. Maybe it's a lot of liquid. Oh, I see. Hmm. But yeah, I guess I've always been leery of getting putting starch in my beer. So I put it in the mash to make sure there aren't any starches. Okay. Probably could research that more, but that's what we do. Well, it works. I will not question you further on this. <laughs> Are you sure, Don? <laughs> Don's the nerd. So he's the one that asks about the... the he hears the words like beta-glucan rest and he's like, oh, let's... Uh... <laughs> Perfect. 
Yeah. I love my glucose polymers. That's true. That's true. <laughs> um, so what your website says that your pumpkin beer like stands apart. Uh, with so many different ways to brew pumpkin beer now and in 2023, how do you think Wick for Brains does that? How do you think it stands out versus other ones besides being easy drinking, which you already said? Well, yeah. And honestly, I think in my experience drinking pumpkin beers in my craft beer career, so a lot of people try too hard or try to go too big with the pumpkin beer. Um, I think almost most of them are that way where they're like, super sweet or super highly alcoholic or just way too much nutmeg or whatever. Um, ours really it does, does go back to that easy drinking nature. It's, you know, you're drinking a pumpkin spice beer, um, but you can have several and not be tired of the flavor because it's that balanced. What's the ABV? <laughs> 6%. Oh, okay. So yeah, that's most... I find most pumpkin beers of that. And it, what's the base? Like, what are you building on? Is it like an amber beer or is it lighter? Is it darker? Like, what's well, your kind of base? Yep. You know, it's funny. Everybody always asks about base beer questions when I'm doing not normal beers. And I don't really think about it that way. Oh. Um, again, and I inherited this recipe a little bit. Sure. But, I mean, you could say, I guess, in color, it's light amber. Um, but when I developed specialty beers i always just try to imagine the finished flavor flavor profile and those ingredients that i'm trying to feature and and then work backwards to figure out what will work with that so the malt there's some caramel malt in this um but nothing really gets in the way or tries to dominate i all of that's kept very subtle to let the pumpkin and the spices shine through hmm, that's interesting yeah um, that is really interesting yeah, I never thought of that because I think you're right, Tyson, that most people think of, well, uh, I, I could add pumpkin to a porter, for example. That would go well. And they take a base beer and they add pumpkin to it. But you you came about it differently. I think that's really great. Yeah, and I, I do that with most beers that have strange, you know, fruits or whatever in it. Like, I mean, yeah, I guess you could say when I make a fruit beer, oh, it's a fruit wheat beer. But I don't really think about it that way when I'm developing it. Okay. I don't like to just take something we already have and add to it because I feel like sometimes there's more to explore than just that. Right. Um, so I think pumpkin beers have this weird stigma about them, uh, particularly for established beer drinkers. I think a lot of beer snobs kind of look down their noses at them. Why do you think that is? And what do you wish beer people knew and appreciated better or more about pumpkin beers? You know, times have changed a lot, I think, in regard to what we consider beer or what we want to be snobbish about. So I don't know if it's as much of an issue anymore, although, you know, pumpkin spice gets a lot of hate just inside <laughs> in, the world, in general really for does. some reason. <laughs> I don't know why. I think everybody secretly loves pumpkin spice, but they want to act cool and pretend that they don't because it's, you know, too common. Um, but you know, you look around at the beer styles now and just, you know, your pastry stouts and your smoothie beers and all that. Like, I feel like the sky is the limit and no one's too hung up on tradition anymore. That's the thing that always bothers me when people get snobby about pumpkin beers, but then they're like, Oh, give me that breakfast cereal Imperial stout. And I'm like, yeah, it's this, like, it's like that, uh, that meme with Pam from the office where it's like, oh, yeah. think, this is, this, <laughs> they're the same thing. <laughs> it's true. It's true. So yeah, I don't, we don't really get a lot of people talking bad about our pumpkin beer. In fact, I 
met a couple random people locally here this year that didn't even know I was the brewer of said beer. And they're like, oh, man, I love that Nebraska Brewing Company's Wickford Brains. So I'm like, cool. That's and awesome. I thank huh. you secretly. Yeah. <laughs> well, so then I guess that leads to the converse of the question I just asked. Are there people who do you find that the there are people who love the pumpkin beer and then that actually because they love pumpkin spice and then that brings them into beer? You know, I don't know if I've seen that transformation happen. Um, I suppose it certainly could. We definitely know people that are the wait, you know, anxiously every year for pumpkin beers to come out. So they definitely have their fans. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I definitely know people who aren't beer drinkers and then the pump, everything pumpkin, everything autumn comes out and it's all they want. And I love that because it does bring in new drinkers. I think that's really nice. And I, especially if someone's going to a brewery and they're like, oh, I love pumpkin beers. And then you give them, you know, oh, what about trying Oktoberfest? What about trying a different kind of beer or spice beer or pastry stout? And then, then their minds explode and right. new drinkers. So, yeah. yeah. One thing that I think is interesting about pumpkin beers is that they still have a season where, you know, a lot of beer styles are fine year round and you'll find them in breweries year round. But pumpkin beers, I mean, there are probably breweries out there that do pumpkin beers all the time, but it's something that still has that seasonality that only comes around once a year. And, you know, that's fun for people. When are you brewing your pumpkin beer and when does it come out? So I say everything has a season, <laughs> yeah. but yes, season creep is real. Mm -hmm. uh, we brew most of our pumpkin beer in July. Um, and that became just from pressure from our distributors who wanted their shipments, you know, by August to get it on the store. Because where it's nice that it is a seasonal thing and people get excited for it. Also, that season expires very abruptly and nobody wants to think about pumpkin beers come like, you know, mid-November. Yeah, I, it is a very finite season. Like the minute Halloween is over, yeah. if you hand someone a pumpkin beer, they're like, what are you doing? Especially ours branded with a big angry jack-o'-lantern on it. <laughs> Did you do any other, do you do varieties of it? Like an Imperial or do you barrel age it? Do you add vanilla beans? Do you do anything with it? Or is it just, this is it, this is what you're getting? I've done a few things over the years, but mostly we just stick with the standard formulation. I do have kind of a an infamous beer that I did years ago at our pub called Press Your Luck Pumpkin Porter. And yeah. that was back when we were still fighting and trying to learn how to deal with the stickiness of the pumpkin in the mash. And because I like to uh, taunt fate, I also put a bunch of rye in it. Oh, uh, good gravy. Yeah, because exactly. that's easy to brew with. Yeah. There's no yeah, to I was like, there. by then I was starting to feel cocky. I'd been commercially brewing for, I don't know, three or four years. And I was like, I got this figured out. I can make a rye pumpkin beer and it'll be okay. Turns out it wasn't okay. <laughs> that was the worst stuck mash I ever had on our pilot system. And I hoped that it would be awful and no one would ever ask me to make it again. But it turned out quite lovely. But I don't think I have made it again. I probably should do that now that I can maybe pull it off better with with more rye this time yeah, yeah well let's do more it with more rye this time that's <laughs> your luck more yeah <laughs> um uh, obviously the showcase of pumpkin beer is the spices you did mention the pumpkin and, and some of the malts in it that you know support that nobody ever talks about hops in a pumpkin beer how do you think about 
hops in your pumpkin beer. I'm I'm guessing you're not putting, you know, cryo mosaic in there or something. No, we've always just leaned on something, you know, fairly neutral just for some IBUs and that's it. Right. Um, the spices definitely bring kind of their own, a little bit of bitterness and heat and all the aromatics we're looking for anyways. So yeah, it's just the, the hops are just a balancing feature against the malt. A little bit of bitterness, basically. Yeah, not a lot, just a little bit. Yeah, okay, cool. Thank do you. Do you do any other autumnal beers? Or just um yeah, just we do them? most years we do an Oktoberfest. Um, although that market's pretty saturated and it's even a shorter season than pumpkin beer. So uh, we mostly do that draft only. We do a a, a give me a, a s'more beer called Gimme S'more that kind of leads into the later half of fall and into winter. So it's like a brown ale with vanilla and marshmallow flavors and all that. So you make an Oktoberfest. What like what beers when it's fall that like what do you want to drink? I'm definitely an Oktoberfest guy. Fall's like, I mean, it's everybody's favorite time of year. The weather starts turning nice. The sun angle's lower, so you're not getting sunburned all the time. And beer tastes better outdoors anyways. So like all the Oktoberfest memories and hanging out with friends, that's like, that beer still holds a big place to me. I agree. I, I, what the minute, what's like, is it, is it warm there in Nebraska now? Like, is it hot? It has been. Today's the first day where it, the weather finally changed. We got a cold front, uh, which of course brought all of the smoke from Canada. Um, so <laughs> You're welcome. Not even going to get to 80 oh, yeah. degrees today, which will be amazing. That's awesome. So you're you're in uh, fall mode now, it seems. Yeah, exactly. It's like finally it's wick for brain season. <laughs> <laughs> or since you have smoke from Canada, how about roke beer season? Yeah, that could be that could be a thing. <laughs> I always uh, joke with people when our pumpkin beer comes out late July that you know, oh, first day of fall because pumpkin beer is out. <laughs> oh, that's true. But I find <laughs> does your pumpkin beer does it age well? So like because it's only it's such a short season that I always tell people to buy it if they look see it and then hold on to it till October. Yeah, ours ours holds up fine. There was a period of time we used to add some spices in the fermenter, kind of like you would with a dry hop, but we were adding spices straight into there. And we actually experienced some stability problems with those batches. So we had to oh, modify, yeah. make sure the spices all go in on the hot side. Uh, which took some effort to dial in the amount because with the heat and everything, you're losing some aromatics and it changes the characters. But we got it dialed in and back to the flavor profile we wanted. Strangely enough, because we have so many fanatics that love the beer every year, for several years running, a few of the same people would tell me every year, oh, you changed the recipe this year. Something's different about your Wick for Brains. And I never change recipes if I don't have a good reason to. And the one year that I actually did change it to overcome that problem, nobody said anything. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel like it. I did my job well that time, or maybe yeah. not. I love well, it. Thank you, uh, Don. Do you have any other questions? No, that's I. Lo I love what I love that story. That's a great story. That's a, yeah. That's yeah. Everyone's like, oh, I can taste this in it. Exactly. There's not. <laughs> yeah, that's it's not like, in well, there. it's been it's been ten months since you've had it, and your taste buds and your memory aren't that precise, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> Well, if people want to learn about Wick for Brains uh, or learn about Nebraska or you or how they reach out, uh, what's social media or website? What's the best way for people to reach out? NebraskaBrewingCo.com is our website. 
and we're probably most active on uh, Facebook as well. So you can find us there. Great. Tyson, thank awesome. you so much for all your time. And uh, I look for happy pumpkin season. All right. Thank you both. Estrella Galicia is an independent family-owned brewery in Northwest Spain, founded in 1906. Estrella Galicia Cerveza Especial is a world-class lager, brewed using the finest Spanish malts, locally cultivated Galician hops, and the best brewing practices made out of the state-of-the-art facility in Acruña. Recognized around the world for quality and exceptional character, Estrella Galicia is a beer like no other. To learn more about Estrella Galicia, follow them at Estrella Galicia USA on Instagram. All About Beer is back. And we're asking for your support to help provide the independent beer media this rich and colorful industry deserves. Visit our website, allaboutbeer.com, where we're frequently posting new content. And please consider throwing us a few bucks at patreon.com allaboutbeer. We have low-cost memberships for individuals and small and large companies alike. Every dollar goes to help produce new articles and podcasts. Chad Henderson is a North Carolina native, native and the original team member of Noda Brewing Company. He has been the head brewer for the Charlotte-based brewery for the company's 12 years of existence and is also a co-owner. Chad's focus through the Noda Brewing Company's beers and products is to deliver a diverse array of exciting beers that range from traditional to experimental with an emphasis on quality and consistency. The brewery releases new beers every week and has evolved to operate out of a 35,000 square foot facility that will soon be expanded to 50,000 square feet and a 60-barrel production system, and a 5-barrel R&D system. The brewery has won multiple major awards between World Beer Cup, Grand American Beer Festival, U.S. Open, and many other local and national competitions. Chad prides himself uh, and his team on being both a dependable brewery and one that can constantly looking for new expression through beer while staying involved with the community through various charities and events. Welcome to the show, Chad. Thank you very much for having me. Um, so you make one pumpkin beer at Noda, correct? Or there are there multiple? Because I know some breweries will tend to like change things. So I just want to make sure that I'm on the right page with pumpkin. Right. We uh, we make one main pumpkin beer, but we do variations of it as well. The other big variation of it. So Gorgeous is our is our main pumpkin beer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it has an imperialized version that's eight and a half percent alcohol. That's just essentially a more concentrated version. It's the same recipe. It's just done at, at a reduced volume batch. Uh, and that's called Drop Dead Gorgeous. And then, we'll, of course, we'll have little random one-offs where we'll have like barrel-aged versions or vanilla infused or put different spices in it or something like that. But, but those are the two ones that actually get uh, packaged uh, in cans and go on draft out, out to the market. Okay, yeah, that's um. So, like the vanilla and the barrel aged ones are tasting room only, or correct? Yeah, we just we just do them as kind of one offs. And usually, I think conjunction when we uh, release it, like this year when we released our gorgeous, we also had vanilla bean infused gorgeous. Uh, so a lot of times we'll try to do a barrel aged version of the drop dead gorgeous because it handles barrel aging really really well. Uh, last year we did a rye barrel aged uh, drop dead gorgeous, and we were aged for about seven and a half months, and it was really really good. So Ooh. you know, it's, it's little things like that, and it's, and it's mostly just to add some more intrigue to the to the taproom. But when we do things like that, it's usually like one physical barrel or maybe two barrels worth. So it's not really enough to to do anything else beyond just the taproom release itself. But gorgeous itself is actually our number one selling seasonals, and it actually wow, even though we only have it available for like a couple months out of the year. It is uh, usually in like our top like six to eight best-selling SKUs of the entire year. So it it makes we make a ton of it. I think this year we did um, 
I believe, 16 turns, 16, 60 barrel turns of it. So, yeah, it's gorgeous. It's wonderful, gorgeous weather outside in Charlotte right now. It's in the mid 90s. So, oh, it's, yeah, it's, uh, it's gorgeous pump- weather. Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I like pumpkin beer all the time, but yeah, yeah it's, yeah. Uh, I think it's like, I'm in New England and it's like 80 something and it'll be a hundred today. So yeah, oh yeah we're not a, if, when, I think that's why people get mad that pumpkin beers come out in August and they, it makes sense that it would come out in August because you've got to prepare for it. But you yeah. know, we're like, pushing it's, the, it's the market ultimately. It's just, it's, you know, it's just, you don't want to lose out on placements and, you know, with it being our biggest seasonal, you know, the very first year I ever made it on production level with the brewery, we released it on October 1st and we just kept it on draft. And then the second year, we did a limited amount of cans of it, and we released it, I think, in mid-September, and our entire sales staff like never put us through that again. Like It was virtually impossible <laughs> to get it anywhere because there was already a massive inundation of, uh, of pumpkin beers and whatnot. So if you aren't early on to the scene with it, you just don't get to be part of it. A lot of people get angry or confused with it, and I'm like, listen, y'all are buying it, or your friends are buying it. So I mean, like, the grocery stores wouldn't put them out if they didn't know that people were going to buy them anyway. So... You know, it's not our intention for the seasonality of it to shift so dramatically. Mm. But uh, but the reality of it, if we want it, you know, if we want to function it as a part of our business plan, we have to kind of play to the rules of what the market dictates. So that's just right. what it is. Right. Um, can I ask, is Gorgeous second runnings of Drop Dead Gorgeous? No, it is not. No, separate. It is. Yeah. They're separate brews. They are separate brews. Yeah, we always release Drop Dead Gorgeous considerably later. Actually, we're releasing Drop Dead this week on friday we, we do a new beer release every friday and uh and we release gorgeous uh at the july 31st so just right before august kicking off but this was the closest that we've done drop dead to conjunction to gorgeous usually it's like we release dropped it like in november or something like that we we give it a, oh. a lot longer time um but yeah we don't brew them simultaneously we do brew all of our runs of gorgeous and then we give it a couple of weeks and then we brew uh, however much we're going to do have dropped it as a limited run and the seven month rye barrel version, did you brew that seven months early or did you release that like in February? We released it the year following it. Oh, okay. Yeah, so we, Wait. yeah, so we, we basically ran it through until we were happy with it, then kegged it off and then basically just kept it in cold storage until we wanted to release it at the, you know, in conjunction to the drop dead the next following year. So it was kind of like a, a predecessing oh. batch sort of thing. I see. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That's all but I had. Back yeah. to you, man. <laughs> um, no, I, uh, Don asked the nerdy questions, and then I, I also ask, I ask the non-nerdy questions. Well, you asked I don't the know. fun questions. I don't ask f- fun <laughs> questions. Well, my my my, my next question was, I mean, if it's so popular, what like why do you think why do you think that gorgeous is so popular? I think a big part of it, uh, and a lot of part of our success at Dota in general is a lot of the timing that we had when we opened up and when we released gorgeous to start. Uh, it was really the first pumpkin beer um, coming out of like that. This the, we were we were very early in the wave of the craft beer movement in Charlotte. There was other craft local breweries that existed in Charlotte before us, but by time when we actually opened up, Old Mecklenburg Brewery was only open for about a year and a half, uh, and they were literally the only other ones around and whatnot. They were doing exclusively German style beers, and, and so all the other predecessing breweries had closed down. Uh, and so when we, uh, when we opened up, uh, I had already brewed that beer a couple of times on a homebrew level and done homebrew festivals with it and whatnot. And we're like, you know, let's go ahead and kick this thing off and throw this on on our, uh, a year after we opened up, we opened up at the end of October. 
Um, and it was just the, I think it was one of the first ones, but also I think a huge part of it is Gordis really doesn't hit the same notes as a lot of other pumpkin beers do. Um, you know, like when you do these fall seasonal beers, you kind of look at, you have your, your Oktoberfest cluster of Marzins and Fest beers, and then you have your pumpkin beers. And unless you're changing the base style of the pumpkin beer up, a lot of them kind of still hit a lot of the same palate hits and notes and whatnot. Uh, and a lot of that is uh, based on uh, whether they use pumpkin or not, but if they use the right spice blend. And a lot of them use cinnamon, nutmeg, and then usually there's like a tertiary uh, spice or a small accent spice blend. And when I was, uh, you know, just a crappier advocate and, uh, and homebrew uh, enthusiast and everything, I got so tired of all the uh, pumpkin beers that we had available to us in the area that, you know, at the time it wasn't really local breweries and also it was just breweries that were shipping to this area. They all kind of had the same mantras. Like this is a like kind of light amber ale at the time, especially almost no brewery doing pumpkin beers were actually putting real pumpkin in them and, and sending them all over the, you know, the country and stuff. Uh, but they always like, it's cinnamon and nutmeg and ginger and cinnamon and nutmeg and all sorts. And I was like, these all just taste the same. And then in a couple months, they're going to do the same beer, but darker and call it their winter warmer. <laughs> with, with cinnamon and nutmeg, but, and so I got kind of fed up with it. I was like, I'm going to use real pumpkin in mine, and uh, which adds, you know, a subtle complexity to it. But I was like, I'm going to make this like a really deep, true fall ambery beer. And a lot of pumpkin beers that you know, this is you know, 14, 15 years ago, um, were very light amber in color for the most part. And I was like, I want it to be really deep mahogany red. So we we I developed a, a, a pretty fortified, specially malt bill. Um, for the uh, for the base uh, recipe itself, and then um, I was like, I'm tired of cinnamon not like being in every single one of these. So I did my own uh, spice blend that was inspired by pumpkin spices and inspired by a lot of the, the kind of the, the accent spices that I saw in a lot of beers that I like. And so there's no cinnamon and nutmeg in gorgeous at all. Uh, hmm. Every year, someone tells me there is. I'm like, I make it. I promise there's not. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but it's it's a blend of uh, of ginger. Uh, all spice, clove, brown sugar, and cardamom. Uh, and cardamom actually, I think, is the, the secret ingredient to it because it adds like a nice little cola pop to it. So it still fits like fall. And I kind of like kind of joking like it's like an autumn cola uh, adultified, so to speak. And so even though it scratches the itch of like the pumpkin beer season, it really doesn't hit the same way that the vast majority of pumpkin offerings do. Um, and you know, it's I feel like when you're doing the fall beer experience. Uh, when you're doing Oktoberfest styles, since it's a German style base, it's usually through Marzen or Fest beer. Like they're, they're very, um, they're very set in on like what the recipe entails. Whereas like with pumpkin beer, you kind of can do whatever you want to, but it feels like we've culturally kind of just like shifted into accepting it has to have these spices and it needs to, you know, do this and that. And I think Gorgeous kind of like fits the box of it, but definitely rides in its own kind of flavor category as far as how it actually comes off. And, uh, and when we released it, we were the only locally available brewery doing a pumpkin beer and people just lost their minds on it. And I think that if you can hit, uh, you know, hit a good positive note with your, with your core audience and then keep pumping it out, uh, it just, it just, it just builds its own hype kind of organically. And then you couple that with the fact that it really doesn't taste much like any other beer that's in that same category. Uh, it really, it really gives it momentum. And, uh, and I, I think it's just that, that over the years of just doing it over and over again, it's just evolved into this major seasonal for us. And uh, people just really look forward to it. And thankfully, it's a beer that isn't heavily uh, 
uh, it, it isn't heavily uh, jeopardized from uh, shelf uh, exposure and oxidation and all that sort of stuff. You know, it's 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 a it's a very robust beer, so people can sit on it if they want to and everything. I mean, I really wouldn't recommend it that much, but like you know, if you find a gorgeous six months after the release of it, it's still probably fine. <laughs> so people can you know they don't they don't worry about as much of variability. It's not like a hoppy beer or anything that's going to have wild you know variation after it sits on a, a warm shelf for months. So all those sorts of factors, and then the fact that we won uh, two GABF medal golds with it um, uh, in 2018 and 2020, that was kind of the years where it really just skyrocketed because it kind of coincided with having a larger facility and uh, having better canning options and, and just being able to pump out larger volume. And so, you know, people that had heard of Gorgeous before in the greater you know North Carolina area all of a sudden they could get it in mass, and it just had a really good reputation with it. And then all of a sudden you get some gold medals. Handed over from JBF, and it, you know it makes a makes a pretty uh, a good package to to send it off to people who've had it long for the long term, and then also people who haven't had it before. I actually was going to ask so, that because I've noticed that you got you've won you've won two gold medals for it at JBF. Correct. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. I would my my question was why do you think the judges saw that beer and gave you? I mean, it was almost back to back. So why yeah, do you? Th- yeah. yeah. They're looking for, I, think, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I, as someone who judges GABF, which made me sound like a total douche right now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's fine. As a, as a beer judge, um, yes. I know like you're looking for, so like, does it tick the boxes of pumpkin beer as the written for the Brewers Association? Or is it just, I mean, it, if you're winning medals, it's got to be a good beer. So yeah, with no cinnamon well, or nutmeg. Yeah. Right, right. Well, so that's, that's the thing. Um, I think it helps it in the in the category and there's some years that it gets completely you know bashed by judges too i think it really depends on the judges panels and how well honestly that beer is it, it, a lot of it comes down to like uh are we really dialing in our water salts and stuff like that because astringencies in the spice load can be either like just right or overpowering mm. so you know we every year we kind of have to really you know take a take a step back and be like okay do we want to repeat exactly what we did with all of our salt loads with mash temp exactly what we wanted to be like last year and everything, you know, and we go at it from there, uh, you know, cause all those little subtle things can make something that tastes super nuanced and balanced go astringent or bitter and things like that. Um, so there is some year to year variability on judges cards from that. But, um, but I think the thing with, with it is when you're, when you're doing JBF judging, you know, like when you do a uh, pumpkin spice category, uh, you, you have to pick a base style, and I always just put it in American Amber because it's kind of. You could argue that it may be like a, a like a stock ale too. It's kind of its category, but you know it's a very good amber color. It's look, it looks really nice. Um, it has solid malt backbone and all that sort of stuff. But the thing is, you know, when when you when you go down, you don't you just don't say like it's an amber ale with pumpkin and spice in it. You have to say, you know, it was brewed with. And then you get the drop down to like, and I can select clove and I can select cardamom and I can select ginger. So I don't, so when they get that beer, cinnamon and nutmeg aren't even on the table. They are in the other beers that people have to judge. But I think that Gorgeous has such a unique spice blend on it that it, that those spices that, um, you know, that, that I tell on the entry form are in there, people can taste them because it does stand mm. out against the cinnamon and the nutmeg and all that sort of stuff. And like, oh yeah, I get that cardamom or I get you know, the ginger in it has a nice pop and there's definitely some also. So like, you know, when you're, and you know, as as judging when it's, when it's things like experimental or urban spice or pumpkin spice or, um, you know, 
chocolate beer and everything like that. A lot of that I think is, uh, is does it fit the bill that you describe it as, you know? So it's, it's one of those things where like, if, if it's coming off like an Amber Ale and you definitely get the cardamom, you definitely get the ginger, you get the, uh, you know, the, the, the all spice and the, the brown sugar. If you get all those things that I tell you that it has in it, and the underlying beer itself doesn't have any major flaw, it automatically kind of, I think it's not automatically, but like it has a high chance of getting a good score because it's doing what you say it is. As I always describe, you know, judging on like GABF and world beer cup is more like a dog show than anything else. You know, like mm. you have your breed standards and stuff like that. You're not judging the dog by which one's the friendliest or which one's like the cutest and everything you're judging it like do their ears come to the right point does their rib cage go down the right way you know you know that sort of stuff so it's like it's it the people that may give gorgeous a gold may not even like it the most out of the lineup but they think that it fits the descriptor that we gave for it and the the categorization that we that we put it in the best and that's what classifies on on, on whether or not you're getting the goal especially on those styles where you know, it's, it's not just, it's not like IPA, you know, or it's not just like, you know, Munich Hellas lager or something like that. It has like, that you don't do all these drop downs and everything like that. Or so it, it becomes a multi-layered thing. So it's like, is the base beer good? And then do you taste all these other layers of what you said on it? And, and Gorgeous, I think, does a really good job of performing as a, here's a good solid amber and you should be able to get nuances of all these spices on it and some underlying starch character from the pumpkin, you know, and, and, and hopefully it just, you know, it hits their palate just the right way that they don't find any major flaws with the presentation of that. And then it has a good chance of, of scoring high. Okay. Wow. Okay. Um, so you talked about the base malts. You talked about the, the the spices that you use. You even talked about water chemistry, which is something I would not have thought Don, of. Yeah, Don's with, like, uh, oh, maybe. <laughs> does the, but does the, does the actual pumpkin matter? Pumpkin variety, yeah. pumpkin sourcing. Do you do anything to the pumpkin? Uh, talk about the we, pumpkin. We t- so the very first time I ever brewed it, it was a stupid idea. A, a lot of the best things we've done and noticed started off as a dumb idea, and we just kind of ran with it. And, and you know, like you know, it gives it it gives it the the heart and soul to make the project move forward. You know, because like we're all just enthusiastic home brewers and and everything that just happened to get our dream jobs and stuff like that. So. Um, when you get a project that starts out with a, with like a, wouldn't that be dumb if we did this? We're like, yeah, let's try that. So the, uh, the, uh, <laughs> the first time I ever brewed it, I was in my garage, uh, home brewing. And, uh, I, um, I told some of my friends that were going to come over to the, I was like, let's make a pumpkin beer. And uh, I was like, all right, everyone be on the lookout for the largest pumpkins you'll see in town and text each other on who thinks they got the biggest pumpkin. And one of my friends found a 78 pound pumpkin. And I was like, that's it, grab it, you know, and we'll, uh, and, he, and he brought it over and we, we emptied it out and we used it as the mash ton, uh, for it. And I actually sort of mashed everything in this big ass pumpkin. And, uh, and then basically like poked a hole in the bottom of it with a screwdriver and like filtered it out to lauder it over. And then when I got everything laudered over to the kettle, I uh, dumped out the grain and I noticed that all the meat inside of it had been caramelized from the heat. So I carved all the meat out, covered it in brown sugar, baked it in the oven, uh, to make, you know, as much of like a pumpkin, you know, souffle or something, you know, with it. and I bagged it up and steeped it in the actual boil. And we, and we did that, um, not exactly that, cause obviously they don't make 7,000 pound pumpkins anywhere that I know of, but, uh, you know, when we scaled it up, we had originally a 15 barrel brew house and we just used canned pumpkin, uh, which was just like hundreds of cans of pumpkin that we would actually roast in a confection oven and oh. then bag it up. And 
that was a horrible idea because I nearly fell in the kettle trying to pull the bags of pumpkin out because, you know, once they soaked up all the, the wart and everything, mm. uh, they come like a couple hundred pounds of dead weight. And uh, I slipped and actually kind of dropped the bag and fall. Uh, I was in the kettle, like my actual like upper body while the boil was still going on. So I had to grab a spray ball to, to oh keep gosh. it going in. So yeah, I was, it, it still haunts me to this day to think how horrible of an end that would have been. And so we're like, let's, uh, let's rethink this. So uh, we, we do still pumpkin puree now, but we buy it uh, uh, as a, like, like large buckets of puree. And we actually add it to the mash mixer. And on our 60 barrel system, we have a dedicated mash mixer. So it's like a big giant, like pancake mixer. Um, and so we mix it in there. Uh, we don't do anything to it. Uh, we, we discovered uh, when we were on the 15 barrel that whether we roasted it or not, it didn't seem to do anything. And when mm. you're using the pumpkin mm. the way that we, we did, um, it's really adding like more of like a starch texture than anything else to it. It's more like, you know, it's like a pump, an unsweetened pumpkin is just, it's a squash, you know? So it has like this, this squashy, gordy, starchy thing going on with it. And so we add that to it and, and uh, you know, we throw, uh, you know, like 350 pounds of pumpkin into the mash with it. And, you know, it, it's an absolute mess. And, and every, I don't know why every company that packages pureed pumpkin decide to make it the single hardest thing in the world to handle in bulk. But, you know, we, we're all wearing pumpkin at the end of the, the mash in and everything. And, um, and then, you know, we, we just let it go through a, a long uh, sack steep. And, uh, and yeah, it just mixes in really well with it. It usually uh, causes quite a lot of pain in the butt with uh, laudering and everything because it does kind of congeal a little bit. But, uh, but you do get that little bit of that, like, pumpkin-y nuance from it. That just has that little starchy character to it. It makes the body a little bit richer. And you can taste that, you know, this, that little bit of that pumpkin-like, you know, tinge of the like well just like if you were to you know bite into a, a squash or whatever you know it's, it's a very subtle flavor but it's there and it and you can, it's more again I, I feel it's more of a textural thing and uh and honestly like a lot of it too we could probably make the beer great without it but you would tell a small difference in it and i think i just i feel it's wrong to call something a pumpkin beer if you don't have any pumpkin in it um so right. we 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 have to we have to use it and then you know and then the, the malt bill is all designed to be a really robust beer to be like we have Care Amber in it. We have special W or special B. Special W is this Wireman's version of special B. Uh, we have Vienna Malt. We have Carafoam. We have a ton of Care Munich. Uh, and then we base it all on, on uh, American Two Row. So it's got this awesome, like, really nice high caramel raisiny character to it to begin with. And then that just gets emphasized from that pumpkin. And, you know, we just try to get the, the water profile into let all those things shine in it without letting it get a little too uh, sharp in the back finish so that the spices can kind of handle that out for it. <laughs> That's awesome. I it think sounds, that there yeah, it sounds delicious. Yeah. I think yeah, there are a lot of people who, who think that pumpkin beer is just like a lazy beer and then you dump a bunch of spice in it. And I hope people listening to this can appreciate how much, not just effort you put into it, but thought you put into it. So, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. So I, and, and also for what it's worth, thank you for saying that. The, uh, the spices we hand crack those too, so that's a whole oh. other thing. <laughs> and also, you have to remember too. So, like, like when I was talking about all those specialty grains. Aside from Vienna malt and, and Carafoam, uh, all those other grains are, are fairly uh, uh, high friability, or they're, they're like they have a lot of. Um, uh, they're very caramelly. They're dark. Uh, so where we have to mill, it's a uh, it's not a lot of ventilation going on at all and it's on the second story of our, of our building and so we, we we're basically up there with like you know respirators on throwing 
hundreds of uh, pounds of, of this grain and just, there's, there's dark specks going everywhere. And, and realizing we released this beer at the tail end of July. So we're brewing this thing like right as summer is coming into its apic, you know, fuck you face. <laughs> you know, that face. Like, you know, it's like 120 degrees feeling up there and we're just covered in specks of dark grain matter and stuff like that. And then we have to, you know, then get ready to go throw a bunch of like, feels like Play-Doh you know, from these bags that are 50 pounds each and they, they're they just big enough to where they feel like a 50 pound baby with no bones. So they're just like flopping all over the place and you're trying to chuck them in and then chuck rice holes in to, to, uh, to make the lotter not so bad. And then you get done with all that covered sweat and specks of grain and, uh, and pumpkin. And then you're like, all right, get the little spice cracker out. We got to go, you know, crack, you know, 15 pounds of spice by hand for this thing. And you're just in there pulsating this stuff the whole time. And you, it just, and it's hot. And, 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 and you know, and, and I'm, I'm griping about it, but it's just, there's certain styles of beers where it's like, you know, when you're making like a big imperial stout and it's cold outside, you're like, yeah, this makes sense. When you're making the pumpkin beer and it's 90 something degrees out and, you know, everyone's like, it's pool season. And you're like, this doesn't make sense. <laughs> like, this is just, this is just really aggravating. So, like, so us, uh, the brewers, all dread making it, but we love how it comes out. So it is a it is a labor of love, and uh, we're happy to do it. And uh, and you know we will do it, you know, sixteen times over, <laughs> like we did this, year. and uh, and you know just just kind of suck it up for it. But it, like all those little things, like cracking the spices by hand, you just get a bit a bit like a, a, a really nice spice utilization off of it and uh you know throwing that pumpkin in you get that little subtle portion of it like if, if we wanted to just go lazy on it you know we could cut half those specialty grains out we could just throw all those spices in a like big tea bag and run it through at the end go, or to get them pre-made you know and uh you know we could we could do all that stuff but that's not that's not why we we don't we don't do what we do to do a lazy version of stuff you right. know so that that applies to everything across the board and i actually had a running joke for a while that I was like, I don't think we've, I've ever designed a single beer that we make. That's easy to do. Like, like even the, even the most straightforward beers we have, it has something going on that makes it harder on us to, to, to make and everything. It just, it just feels, feels like there's a little portion of it that, uh, you know, uh, we, like I said, it's, it, it, this is my dream job and everything. And there's some portion of me that feels like every beer has to have some sort of a bit of a, a thing that you got to struggle through just to kind of feel like you earned it. You know, it's just, if you're just coasting and bored up on the stand, it just doesn't feel right. It's not, I didn't, I didn't get into this 12 years ago to just kind of lazy, you know, like lazily just like kind of click stuff through and just let it happen. Like we want to have some tricks, you know, to throw our ways and stuff like that and kind of stress out about it just makes it more fun. It makes it more, it makes them feel more genuine. That, yeah, for that sure. That is awesome. So awesome. Yeah. It's, I love the, attention to detail and also the passion that you have for pumpkin beers because yeah like whatever like what don said you know a lot of people are like oh it's a beer and then people drink it and they get the salt and sugar or the sugar cinnamon rim and blah blah blah. like no 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 these beers are hard to make and people enjoy them so why my my question is why do you you've been making this pumpkin beer for how many years now uh, we've been doing it in, in package form for 10 years. This is the 10 year anniversary of it, but we did it. We've done it for 11 years, basically. It's one year younger than the brewery is. Got it. Uh, as far as, as far as a beer you could actually go buy, I've been doing mm-hmm. it for years prior to that on, on the, on a homebrew level, but mm-hmm. yeah. Why do you think pumpkin beers have this staying power? Because, you know, seasons coming, seasons go, beer styles get popular, beer styles go away, but the pumpkin beer has been being made for so long and, so many people, especially new drinkers, you know, really look forward to this pumpkin, this 
fall season? Like, why do you think that pumpkin beers have this staying power? I think they just they just play into a facet of a general cultural um, appreciation of the fall season. And I think that is very fall itself, especially when you look at just culturally in our ancestors uh, of just the harvest. You know, for a lot of people's lineage and stuff like that, like that's just a an exciting time of the year is like that harvesty fall autumn turn um and there's a lot of iconic imagery that go with it with, with pumpkins being a major part of it and a lot of people know pumpkin pie they love you know they've evolved to love you know pumpkin spice lattes and pumpkin spice mm-hmm. candy and there's you know then they have the the addition of halloween you know coming into so think the whole uh fall autumn season gives such an iconic departure from the summer's um you know, freedom to do whatever you want. Whereas summer has the iconic, you know, references of like hot weather and, and the pool or the beach and all that sort of stuff. Fall, fall and autumn just have such a stronger iconic imagery associated to them, in my opinion, at least. Um, and I think it's just really deeply rooted in a lot of um, culture and it's more widespread across the nation, you know, because um, you know, I feel like here in, in the Southeast and all, it's, it's like the relief from the torrential heat. You know, it's like, finally, we can wear jeans and not die. <laughs> you know, or like, like, oh, let's go to the pumpkin patch and pick out pumpkins for decoration. Oh, let's leave. Or, or there's a lot of, you know, there's tons of farmland around this area. And people do legitimate, like, harvest and pumpkin competitions. And that can spread way further than, you know, like with us here, like pool and, and, uh, and, and beach culture is, like, really big. But, you know, if you're out in the Midwest, you know, it's, it's, that's not there in the summer. But the harvest season itself still exists. You know, and people still celebrate that that turn to autumn with you know all the that rustic food and that those like autumn spices and that little first little bit of chill in the air. And you know, there's a ton of people out there, especially now that like, and I'm and I'm one of them. Like Halloween's their favorite holiday, you know. So like all and all those all those uh like things that people eagerly look forward to, um, have these iconic images and flavors and aromas associated with them. And pumpkin and pumpkin spices are are right in that running and so people get hit with it all over the place so you know if you are a beer fan the idea that you can or you're starting to get interested in beer you can easily wrap your mind around the idea of a pumpkin beer. whereas you know a veteran or well-knowledged beer fan may understand what an Oktoberfest is but as far as like the cultural importance and like the nuance and making an Oktoberfest versus a Vienna lager or some or an amber lager of any kind you know or even amber ale to a very new drinker just like they all look kind of the same you know, they, uh, you know, they don't, I don't think that it hits with the same cultural level of, of, of impact as being like, it's a pumpkin, it's pumpkin spice, you know, like, mm-hmm. like, you know, it's, it's stuff that people can easily associate with and easily identify and easily uh, get excited about because they're already like, you know, primed for that season to come in and, and you know, have that wave of, of all those things to look forward to. It's true. I'm looking forward to it. Don, are you looking yeah. forward to it? <laughs> Uh, I, I very much am. I have not seen them on my shelves yet, but, uh, hopefully soon. Great. Uh, anything else, Don? No, I'm happy. Chad, thank you so much for all your knowledge about you. You've changed my mind. I think the way that pumpkins, (laughs) pumpkin beers are a passion and they're well-loved and they, I really, I like the, that, yeah, farms are everywhere in America, you know, and a harvest season is a global uh, it's right. a global time so the fact that there are certain things that hit uh, pumpkin beers are definitely that and i mean i i mean i, I haven't seen i've seen a couple but i'm looking forward to uh 
Are you pouring gorgeous at GABF this year? We're not actually pouring at GABF. Uh, we are pouring only at the Denver Rare Beer Tasting. We did enter it into the into the uh, competition though. Uh, so hopefully, hopefully we can get a third medal, uh, you know, lined up That's for exciting. it. But, you know, you, you always go in with high hopes, but don't, don't expect yeah. anything. You're overdue. So, so yeah. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. For, for that one, yeah, we, just, we, uh, we, you know, we'll, we'll see how everything goes with it. But, um, but yeah, no, it's, and uh, I'll, I'll see if I can send you guys up some so you guys can, can, uh, can taste it. But it's, uh, you know, it's, it's been a great product for us. And, um, you know, it's I, I'll be per- perfectly honest that it's not a beer that I go drink a ton of or anything like that. Neither is pumpkin beers in general. But to I think that ignoring that there's a huge population that really anticipates it and looks forward to it. Like it, it, you shouldn't ignore that. And, you know, in in that stance too, like putting our own spin on it and being really proud of what our spin is on it is, is something that I'm really happy that we've been able to carry on for over a decade now. That's yeah. awesome. Wonderful. Kudos well, to you for that. Yeah, kudos and thank, thank you. you for all your um, your thoughts and your passion about pumpkin. And um, yeah, thanks for being on the show. This was really great. Absolutely. Thank you guys for having me. Appreciate it. One, one more thing. Um, sure. If people want to learn about the brewery or reach out to you, how can they do that? Social media, website? Yeah, social media. Just look at anything Nota Brewing uh, on it and it's hashtag Nota Brewing and all the Instagrams and twitter or x or whatever it's called now <laughs> and we also our website notabrewing.com uh you know we have if you have any questions or want you to get in touch with anyone here for anything further there's an info at notabrewing.com and they can basically streamline any sort of questions for whatever department it would pertain to uh, we try to stay pretty active uh, on social media and we do a, if you're in the north carolina or charlotte area in general we are sell we sell directly into the north and south carolina area so uh so that's our current uh, spot right now we, we we're doing hopefully around twenty two thousand barrels a year uh for, for for this year hopefully 25 next year but we we have like the market idea of going growing the roots deep instead of really wide and thin uh so we are basically just the carolinas but uh but if you're in the area right now, we're really we have a ton of events that we run through for charitable organizations so we have tons of events going on every week but uh but yeah just check out our website check out anything on our social media uh, I'm beer mad Chad. I don't post that much on social media. To be really honest, I get tagged in a ton of stuff. So, yeah, that's a. I like the name beer mad Chad too. Yeah, so. I like that. That's, a, that's an old one that carried over before the brewery ever started up. I don't. I've, I've contemplated changing it for a while, but you know, rhyming uh, Chad rhymes with a bunch of stuff, so might as well run with it. So. <laughs> cool. <laughs> well, uh, thank you so much for um, coming on the show. We really appreciate it, and uh, cheers. Thanks. Cheers. So much. Thank you so much. Cheers. Thank you guys. Have a good one. So, Don, how do you feel about pumpkin beers now? Uh, The reason I love co-hosting this podcast with you is that I always learn something fun and exciting. And I learned that I don't know, that I didn't know anything about pumpkin beer. Uh, So much thought goes into the recipe and um, water. I mean, I never would have thought of water chemistry uh, in pumpkin beer recipe design. So how about you? I didn't realize how much of a pain in the ass they are. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I also didn't realize, like, for such a, the a pumpkin beer has only been around for, what, 20, maybe not even. And they have such staying power. And there's so many different ways to make them with different spices, where you put the spices, where you put the pumpkin. I mean, it's, it's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, I I love it. I'm now now I'm even though it's a million degrees right now, 
Uh, I'm craving a pumpkin beer. I think I may be going to the liquor store to go buy a few because there's some really good ones out there. You know, maybe, hey, fellow listeners, maybe go buy yourself some pumpkin beers and try them again. Yep. Because, yeah, and appreciate the passion that goes into making them because, man, I had no idea. Is there cinnamon in this or is there not? Because we yeah, taste it and it's not there, right? How did they, did they roast the pumpkin? Where did the pumpkin go in? Were how the was spices hand ground? Hand, yeah, hand, yeah. How many shakes? How many shakes? Make this bird? <laughs> that was uh, pretty silly. Yeah, no, uh, I love it. Love it. This is I what I love about beer. Me too. Because there's so many ways you can make beer and um, so many interesting things you learn. I mean, I learned, yeah, you learn something new every day. It's exciting. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Visit the allaboutbeer.com website and follow us on social media at allaboutbeer. Again, if you're feeling generous, visit our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash allaboutbeer to support this show and others. If you have any questions for the experts, email podcast at allaboutbeer.com. That's also the email for feedback suggestions, or to inquire about supporting the show through advertising. Hi, this is John Hall, the editor of All About Beer, and this episode of the All About Beer podcast is brought to you by Estrella Galicia. I'm once again joined by Xavier Cabello from the brewery, and earlier we were talking about the importance of beer culture, and I want to keep on that thread, and I hope that you can continue by talking about the importance of beer culture trainings at the brewery. I was saying how everybody in Estrella Galicia must be certified at least with the Cicerone Certified Beer Server. We have been training our workmates for many years before the Certified Beer Server was available in Spanish, but when we knew about Cicerone, we thought, oh yes. This is it. It is perfect. Why? Because we always say that we are big craft brewers. We are very demanding with our ingredients, very classic with the traditional brewing techniques, 100% family owned. Yes, true, bigger than the average craft brewer. But apart from that, we feel craft brewers. And Cicerone certification program is the main beer knowledge certification in the craft beer world. So it just fitted and was the perfect instrument to encourage people to learn and appreciate beer better. But training in company didn't feel enough. We created an online digital training platform to learn at your pace, and we offer this platform to our distributor sales forces. If we check that someone has finished the training and passed our exam, we pay for this person's certified beer server exam. We want the people working with our beers to be certified. We want them to know beer. We want them to love beer, not just sell it. So far, more than 1,200 people have certified in the first level of Cicerone thanks to our trainings. And 11 out of 26 certified Cicerones in Spain work at Estrella Galicia. Thank you so much and for being a sponsor of this episode. Everybody listening, to learn more about Estrella Galicia, please visit estrellagalicia.com. Don, how can people reach out to you? I am at the Dawn of Beer on X threads and Instagram. And people can drop me an email if they want to talk about water chemistry and pumpkin beers. <laughs> uh, my email address is dawn at the dawn of beer.com. How about you, Em? I am at Pints and Panels across all social media. And my website is www.pintsandpanels.com. This show is produced by All About Beer. Visit allaboutbeer.com for articles, notes on this show and others, and to connect via the newsletter and social media. Cheers, everyone. Cheers. Keep squashing those pumpkin beers. <laughs> <laughs>